Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Well, able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. It's Pete Davidson, Eddie, and Pat on the mics tonight to hear, you know, talk about a wonderful first period the Ducks played and then ended up coming out with an 8-4 to loss. But more importantly on this show, we'll get to the fun stuff about all the trade rumors going around and, uh, you know, the everlasting Troy Terry who shows up and denies what I would be very happy about if he got traded. So, what's up guys? <laughs> Not much, man. I just had a great time watching that game. I feel like I'm the only person who enjoyed the hell out of that game, other than, you know, Joe Sackick, but that was a blast. The posts on that side of the ice enjoyed it, too. Oh, yeah. They got a lot of attention. It started pretty fun. I'll, I'll admit that. Like, it started. Dude, like... they scored four goals in the third period. That was awesome. I, I get we lost, but we suck. They're Colorado. It's fine. Just... 12 goal game. Just enjoy you know, it. Are you kidding? You know what have made that better if Trevor Zegers actually cashed in on that chance and scored. Yes. I, it could have been eight to one if he had his first NHL goal. I wouldn't have cared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I mean, but are we going full tank right now, though, guys? Like, I don't really see there being any other way out of it. Uh, I mean, you have to you have yes. to drive you have to drive the tank. We we, we talk about it a lot, but kind of where we're at again. Or it's it's, un, it's unintentional, right? Like, Detroit is tanking. Like, they don't have any assets, really. Like, they don't have big assets to sell. Like, I, I saw somebody, I think it's a Detroit Red Wings writer for the hockey writer, tweeted out 
something like here's the guys that are available for the Red Wings and I like at the top of the list was Bobby Ryan (laughs) they don't really have tradable assets and the guys they're keeping around are young guys like Larkin and Mantha that are staying in the organization and then you look at Ottawa and they just have a bunch of young guys and they brought in some veterans to just basically hit the cap floor and not be completely Mm -hmm. awful I think the only comparable team to Anaheim, in a, in a, which is really awful, is Buffalo in a sense that they tried to be competitive and they're they're just still bad. I think the Ducks are or more more in that boat where they're not even trying to tank; it's just an unintentional tank because they're so bad that they're just they're just in that mix. What do you think, Pat? I just have a hard time with uh, with understanding where this whole trade situation is going. Honestly, that's the, the whole the whole thing is just puzzling to me. So here's here is my question. I mean, like, everything pops how... out, right? Friedman about Raquel, about Terry. There was Jones mentioned. People talking about Bob Murray, uh, and like you know, we all want him cast out for sure, but we all know it's not going to happen. And what he's holding on for, what he's not holding on for. We still have a month until the deadline. By the way, still got a month. Yeah, got a long way. Yeah. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a long month, but I was talking. I think me and Eddie talked about this a little bit on the last show. Like I'm super curious to see what happens because I think the uh, you know the quarantine period, especially if uh, the trades are interdivision or especially uh, international, like if there's trades up to Canadian teams, the quarantine thing is gonna be a big deal. And I really do wonder so if we're gonna see weeks. right. But it's if you do a deadline day deal. You're losing half of the games left. To yeah, get that but like, but come on. In. Most most of the most of the trades happen prior to the deadline. Most of the time, like the big trades, like you'll see bigger names go like a week or two before the deadline. They'll start to like amp like ramp up now. Yeah, but what on I'm occasion you see a big deal on the day. But even without that, right? There's still that it's going to take two weeks of quarantining before you can join your new team. So I wonder if we're going to unofficially see it moved up because I don't know unless it's little deals. I don't know that they're going to be willing, you know, like if someone's doing like the St. Louis trading for Delzada or Philadelphia trading for Grant, that's one thing. But if anybody actually tries to take a swing on one of these free agents, especially Toronto, who, you know, seems to have a really clear path to the finals, like they got to do that sooner than later because they they can't just have new guys in all the time, you know, or they can't give their new guys like four games to figure it out. Well, Jubis, um, I, well, I was about to say Dubis tweeted today, but there was comments from Dubis on Twitter today where he said that they're the Leafs are looking to make a trade ASAP because of that quarantine period. And I know, Stephen, you had mentioned this a couple shows ago where we talked about the trade deadline maybe not being as active as it normally is because the teams, especially the competitive ones that are wanting to add these pieces, want them in there as soon as possible for as many games as they can. And, you know, that's almost a positive and a negative for the Ducks in the sense of moving some of their guys that the Leafs might just, you know, as much as they're interested in a player like Ricard Raquel and the fit is there, they might just move on to somebody else just to get this deal done ASAP. If the Ducks are looking, if the price is high, like they said, Calgary was basically priced out of Ricard Raquel, and it looks like Toronto might be priced out as well despite having some of the assets. If they but there's feel only like- seven teams up there. Why is all the focus up there? I don't understand. There's other there's other trade partners that I could swing out here. It's there amazing are. to be like this is like what's happening. It's like Wyshynski puts out that tweet today. Ask around the league how it's going. Quiet except for Anaheim. 
It's like, really? And then Anaheim, only reports you hear from them is they're, they're trying to shop in, in Canada. Like, the place that's going to be the hardest to move somebody there because of quarantine is just is mind-boggling to me. Necessarily oh, I mean, Raquel's been linked to Boston. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone's linked to Boston, right? <laughs> it was just a fit, <laughs> they can't right? score five-on-five five right now. They need somebody. Yeah. It was the fit, I think. Like, the fit that Ricard Raquel would fit so well in Toronto. And... That playing him with a guy like Austin Matthews would probably be the best the best bet for for Ricardo Raquel. And the fact that Toronto actually does have some assets, you know, a first round pick and a top prospect that they're apparently willing to give up, according to Kyle Dubas, that it could actually make sense. Who's that prospect? Do you know? It, no, but it's probably Rodian Amirov or or uh, Nick Robinson or Timothy Lindgren or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. So, can you guys pull any positives out of tonight's game that you saw? I mean, we all got a little excited about the scoring, but. Not to be the downer, I don't, I don't want to bring the pod down on that, but like the goaltending for the Abs was really bad in that first period. I think the Ducks were being heavily outshot, and yeah. uh, they still scored on their first two shots on goal. <laughs> so it, it wasn't like um, like Colorado's goaltender had you know had any business being in that game. And then with when all of a sudden Grubauer comes in, it was over with. But I, I think there was it was nice to see Henrique play well tonight. He got on the scoreboard several Just times, that line. three points. That yeah, that line. line was great. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, I, I I definitely agree that, you know, obviously the fact that once Miska was out of the game, it was a shutout is is relevant. But I do think we did see them start to develop a little bit of, you know, momentum or energy early. And they did kind of have little periods where they were on their front foot. I think a lot of it felt like it was driven by that uh, Rico Zegers line. And I felt like Raquel was at least active, like, they were able to get some pressure. You know, it was only a matter of time before Colorado kind of grabbed the game uh, away from them. But I think you saw a little bit of them kind of rolling, and you got to see Zegers be a little bit creative. So, you know, I did you guys see who got who got absolutely awesome. imploded five on five? Which line? No, oh God, probably the fourth line. Uh, well, yes, they did too, but it was actually Getz, Raquel, and Comtois with like the worst offensive output. Obviously, but were they, they matched score. up against McKinnon? I believe so. And yeah. uh, they had they allowed three goals against, but their their underlying numbers were just pure trash. <laughs> it was pretty I think bad. every time we pretty play bad. the Avalanche, whoever is matched up against Nathan McKinnon gets caved in. I don't remember how. I think this was probably last season or maybe Shocking. earlier this year. Yeah, but remember when we were matching Derek Grant against Nathan McKinnon? That was oh, this shocker. season. Yeah, that was early season. Yeah, that this was season. this year. They got absolutely caved in. And it's like every game you go up against McKinnon because it's McKinnon, Ranton, and Landis Cog. Not even just the Ducks, any team. You, you go up against those three, you're, you're screwed for that night. Like you're getting caved in no matter what. Like Nathan McKinnon will put up nine shots himself, probably score a couple goals. And, and Ranton and will get a couple as well. Like it, it's just up there and especially with the struggles of Boston this year it's potentially the best line in the NHL right now yeah absolutely I mean they've I, always been uh, as long as as long as McKinnon's on a line that line's deadly and especially the last few seasons for sure I mean and that guy's just a just a beauty to watch how many posts did he hit tonight three did he have two yeah, three? He had at least two in the first yeah, crossbar and a post. The whole team hit like six or seven tonight. <laughs> That's what it seems it's like. Ridiculous. <laughs> I marked down four, but I think there was actually a couple more in there. Like just a few a few that grazed. Uh, the Ducks had a couple too. Obviously, Trevor Zegers was, was the mm-hmm. big one. 
I, I before we move on from from this roster stuff, I don't know if we even talked about this, but Sam Steele was scratched for second night in a row tonight. Any anything to read into with that? I know we said he probably deserved the one game scratch, but Derek Grant gets in, he scores a penalty shot. You know that means he's probably in next game. And Delore <laughs> was mixing it up physically, and Heinen scored, and that was the entire fourth line tonight. So uh, I, I was hoping to see Sam Steele back in the game. I'm just not sure how he finds his way back into the lineup at this point where they seem to have some set lines. And I think at this point it would might be for a guy like Isaac Lundstrom, which I don't really want to see him come out of the lineup. All right. So I'm not even going to mention Steele in this. You mentioned Delorier. I, I really like the little harken back to uh, old school hockey tonight with Kadri sucker punching Delorier. And then Delorie like going completely off the rails and wanted to kill him and skate around and then talk trash in the penalty box and then get out and try to fight him. We all knew Kaji wasn't going to fight. It was like I was I was messaging you guys. It was, that was a Corey Perry move. That was such a Perry move. I'm going to punch this dude Kadri and then that. never ever fight that guy. It's not why yeah. would he? Why would Kaji <laughs> drop the gloves? He's made a career <laughs> out of that. Nazem Kadri does that. A hundred times a season. So did Paris. I mean, Paris would fight, but like Paris didn't really fight anyone like Delorier. Like Delo's a legit fighter. I mean, Perry fought Datsuk, I, I believe, Patrick, yeah. and got beat up. Like it was <laughs> like he couldn't take on Pavel. I mean, I mean, I don't know what that was about, but yeah, this whole thing with Delorier and like the old school part of me that I, uh, you know, I love old school hockey, but like I'm sitting there going, someone go out and just grab Kadri. Like I don't care. <laughs> someone go grab him. <laughs> it's like. What would that have done? Nothing. Would it have made the game better? Probably. More entertaining for me. I mean, why not? Pat, <laughs> this is exactly why we have you on the show, because I was going down a downer path talking about Sam Steele getting scratched, and you you brought it back to Delorier just trying to smash people's heads in. Oh, dude, but I have to. Like, This is like my favorite part of these types of seasons, is these games that just go pure mayhem. And I was so waiting wait. for that. I'm like, all all this, all Delo had to do was just knock Kadri on his ass or punch <laughs> him with a glove on and drop him, and then it would have been mayhem on the ice. I was just hoping for that. Give us something. This team stinks. No, we were, we were, we were deprived of that little bit of messiness uh, from the good old days. That's for sure. But real quick, I want to touch on the Sam Steele thing just because. Because <laughs> that was the original question. <laughs> yeah, I think that was part of it. But I just think it's interesting. I, I here, I'll do it this way. I will turn it into a positive, which is. There was significant questions around Lunderstrom's ability to translate his game, which seemed subtle, to the NHL level. He has taken Sam Steele's position or his his place in line. And that wasn't what anybody expected at the beginning of the season and is definitely not what anybody thought Lunderstrom was going to be doing. So... Sam Steele being out of the lineup is maybe not great for Sam Steele because he hasn't been playing well. But I do think it's actually a really positive sign that we have two young centers like that that we can put on this team and just be like, yeah, we're going to play whichever one of you is better. And right now, Lundstrom's clearly better. Maybe they try to send Sam Steele back down or something. I don't know. I don't know his waiver situation. Um. But I, I don't think it's a negative. I think it's a positive in so much as, you know, center was always the big question mark for this prospect pool, which is where are these centers going to come from? Um, you know, and I think Lundestrom's really kind of shown that he's got more to his game than people thought this year. And I think that's a very encouraging sign. So he's looked just, better. that's for me the thing with Sam Steele. He's looked better than Sam Steele. Yeah. Sam Steele has not looked good this year. And to address uh, the hardcore luchador, 
I said Perry has never fought anyone of like fighter ilk. Not he has never fought anybody. So just just to clear the room there, he's definitely dropped the gloves, but he's not dropping the gloves with like Delorier, or he's not going to drop the gloves with. I mean, who would he play then back then? I mean, John Scott is he going to drop? No, he's not doing that. Um, that's what right. I meant by that. But yeah, as far as Sam Steele and Lundestrom, uh, Lundestrom has just turned out to be the exciting player this year. Last mm-hmm. year, not so much. Steele got to stay. I think you're absolutely right on that. Um, they're kind of, I don't want to say the same player, but they're at the, I think they're at the same level when it comes to uh, how they're producing. So man, I, I just feel like, like you said, whoever's playing better is going to slot in. And I don't think there's really too much into, re- into reading into this. The Ducks, in my opinion, aren't going to trade either one of those guys, especially because they're trying to get the young players. I, I can't imagine them trading one of them off. Yeah, I, I can't see them trading any. It's just... I can't remember this year out of the young kids a guy that's been scratched two games in a row. Like, we've seen Terry being scratched for a game. We've seen Jones been scratched for a game. Lundestrom has been taken out, you know, every now and then for a game. Uh, and then this is back-to-back for, for Sam Steele. So maybe it's a bit of, uh, of trying to send uh, uh, a, b- a bit more of a stronger message than some of the other guys this year. And I think Sam Steele's been scratched already once before this, mm-hmm. uh, where he came back and responded pretty well. So... I think out of everybody, you know, at the beginning of the year, he was the guy I said was the furthest in front of a lot of the prospects. And now I think he's, you know, the furthest behind because I think Jones has taken a step forward. Lundestrom's taken a big step forward. Maxim Comtois obviously has taken the biggest step forward Say of everybody. It. Say and it. And Troy Terry has actually been impressive. And you look at the game he had today, he actually looked pretty good. And, and I like that line. And, and I'm actually excited for, for Zegris, Henrik, and Terry moving forward to see what they can do. Because uh, I thought, you know, even outside of the first period, I thought they still looked like uh, a pretty dangerous line. But then, then there's Sam Steele, and defensively, I think he's been okay. Um, you know, again, faceoffs aren't everything, especially nowadays. But he's at he's clicking at 56% in the faceoff dot, which is something I never thought I would say about him at the NHL level. But the offense isn't there, and that's the problem for him right now. I mean, he we expected him to be an offensive centerman. And he's just not producing at that level. And he, he's really not creating or doing anything exciting, right? We've seen a hat-trick game from Lundestrom. We saw the toe drag and then this game from Troy Terry. We saw a nice play from Max Jones the other game where he was like, you know, three stride lengths behind somebody, beat them to the puck and, and scored. We've, you know, obviously come to us season this year. We haven't seen that from Sam Steele this year where, you know, in his rookie year, he looked great. And, you know, even in the second season, he had some flashes of brilliance, a nice stretch at the end of the season. Just haven't seen that from him this year. Yeah, but is there anything for you to really read into? You just kind of want to chalk this up to this is how the season's going to go? Yeah, I, I, I would I would say so. Like, I don't want to read into it at this point. It, it, you know, we'll we'll take what we can get in the fact that the, the four other young players are, are taking steps forward and only one guy is maybe taking some steps backward. I think that's a positive in its own right that it's not all five of them that aren't getting off uh, and, and kind of taking some steps forward. So, you know, we'll take what we can get. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't read into it yet. So here's my thing I want to ask, because I wanted to ask you the other night, but now that we have Pat here, it'll be better. If you guys had to rank the six kids, and I'm going to include Mahura, from at this point most confident being on the team going forward to least confident being on the team going forward, how would you rank them? So Mahura, Jones, Comtois, Terry, Steele, and Lundestrom. Pat, do you want me to take this first? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Comtois is obviously at the top of that list. Uh, there, there's no 
there's a big gap, I think, between Maxime Comtois and the strides he's taken this year and everybody else. I think just stylistically and, and the way he fits on this team, I'd probably put Max Jones second. Uh, you know, the, the production hasn't been there, but I liked what I've seen from him. And I think he has he kind of fills a niche on this team that uh, the other guys don't. And, and and then I think from there it, it, it gets fairly murky, right? We're looking at Sam Steele, uh, Troy Terry, Josh Maher. Who am I missing in this? Lundestrom. Uh, Lundestrom. Um, where I, you know, it, it's you're you're kind of picking and choosing what player you like more, the style you like more of those guys. I, I think when you look at the underlying numbers and take everything into account, I think you kind of have to throw throw Troy Terry into that third spot there, and then it becomes a battle between Steele, Lundestrom and Mahura for those final three spots. And just based off, you know, the strides he's taken this year, I think you have to throw Lindstrom uh, above Steele and Mahura at that point. I don't even have to say anything. That's exactly, I mean, honestly, that's how I would put him. I really would. I think it's, it's Lindstrom, Steele, Mahura on the bottom, Comtois, Jones, and Terry. That's top. That's kind of how it shakes down for me. Oh, see, that's interesting. Cause I think for me, I have Lindstrom second. I would go Comtois, Lindstrom, Jones, Terry Mahara Steele. I mean, but it's it's kind of splitting hair, right? I mean, Lundestrom yeah. has scored and played, um, I guess better. Yeah, minutes. I have I have Lundestrom above uh, Terry and Jones for me. He's only behind Comtois. Well, I think. as long as we I keep playing Comtois, Colorado, Terry will wake up, right? I mean, he's just going to score yeah. all his goals. He loves playing in Denver. <laughs> I you know I, um, I think the thing. I think outside of Maxim Comtois, like Pat said, it is, it is kind of splitting hairs, right? Like Comtois is clear number one above all of them right now, just based off the production he's had this year. I know he's cooled down a little bit lately, but 19 points and nine goals kind of speaks for itself. You know, it's miles above any of the other guys that we're talking about here. So, you know, that's the one thing I think everybody can agree on. When you mention those six names right now, there is no question who the number one is. You can rank their remaining five however you like, and I think there's an argument there to be had to put any of them anywhere there. But Maxim Comtois is the, the clear number one just based on the way he's played this year. Yeah, no, I agree. I definitely agree. I wish, wish he woke up a little bit tonight. That line was just not good. Um, I, I want to talk to you guys about the defense. I know we're missing the best defenseman on our team in Lindholm. Well, people are going to say whatever on that, but uh, and Manson, it's important to note both those guys not being in the lineup. Obviously, we're well aware, but it's <laughs> it's been really bad watching because I really wanted to just kind of shit on goaltending tonight. I mean, Miller probably wasn't hit at his best. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I think the broadcast you made a mention like, does he have a new glove? Because like he had to he have goes had a new to, glove. like catch the pucks just bouncing out. Um, so I wasn't going to just dump on him for that, but it was like, my God, man. Uh, yeah, new new gear, new glove, clearly. Hutton yeah. and Larson. <laughs> we need players back in this lineup. That's all I'm going to say about them. No, but the, the ridiculous <laughs> thing is you have good. guys in San Diego who you could give a shot to and see if it works. It's not like you're stuck with Hutton and Larson. You've got Cody Curran, who we haven't even given a shot to yet. You've got Hunter Drew. You've got Jamie Drysdale on the taxi squad, who Bob Murray said before he goes back to Erie in the OHL, he wants to give him an NHL game or two. 
and he's on the taxi squad still. And I figured today would be the day to get him in. I know it's a tough game against one of the top teams in the NHL, but he was working back from a uh, you know a puck to the face and was on the taxi squad to kind of build up his strength without playing. But then he goes down to San Diego, plays two games on the weekend, still on the taxi squad. Goals don't play to Saturday. It just felt like, okay, throw him in on Tuesday. He's got some time to rest until the goals game on Saturday. And if you want to send it back down, send it back down. And, and you know, I, Trump, West 2020 just said in the chat, I, I don't think uh, Drysdale is, is NHL ready. I don't either, but you at least can give him a game and see how he does. It's better than Hutton and Larson at this point. Yeah. Been, mean, oh, kudos to you, by the way, Stephen. I saw you figure out how to mute your mic. I just, yeah, uh, I had to make note of that. <laughs> it's a big day for me. <laughs> it's, it's uh, been, it's been wild that uh, Murray's talking about Drysdale coming up. He has no defense. <laughs> ready to play an NHL game outside of a Fowler and Hawkinpaw sometimes. Um, and it's it's just wild to me that they don't bring him up to play a game or two. Let him come play. Yeah, I, the one thing I would say is I would be curious to see if he gets these next two games, which is against Arizona. Like, I, I think you could probably make an argument that because of his game and his skating ability, that maybe it would be easier for him to play in an open style like this. But I think... You know, obviously Arizona just doesn't have the level of offensive talent that Colorado has. And so I do think if they bring in Treesdale for his first couple games against Arizona, I think that would make a lot of sense. You just had to do it, eh? Just had to throw the Dreesdale out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, my favorite thing, um, I don't want to say my favorite thing, but the, the most ironic thing about this is I think it was near the beginning of March comment in or quote from Bob Murray in an Eric Stevens article where he said the best thing about this team or, or kind of the strongest part about this team right now is the defense and goaltending <laughs> and then the Ducks rattle off a, a nine game stretch here in March where they've allowed 41 goals which is 4.55 goals per game uh, and then in their last six it's 31 which is 5.16 goals per game in their last six, they're outscored 31 to 17 in those last six games. I know it's not just on the goaltending and the defense, uh, and, and it's kind of a, a shift um, in their mentality here and trying to score some more goals, but it, it, clearly it's not the strength of this team right now. I think the only strength you could say is you do have two exceptional goaltenders in John Gibson and Ryan Miller, but the guys playing in front of them right now, it, it's just, it, it doesn't matter. Right, it, you, it doesn't matter who you have in net. I think John Gibson. Do you think that John the... Gibson faked his injury tonight to miss the game against the Avs? <sighs> like, <laughs> God, what are like, you throwing? He just him? knew it was going to be just a pure shit show out there in front of him against this McKinnon lineup, and he was just like, "I think I'm holding my groin. I might be ready for Thursday against Arizona." Yeah, I won't not... ask for a trade if you don't play me against Nathan McKinnon in the like, Colorado Avalanche. I almost wouldn't blame him for that. I know he didn't. All these guys want to play, I would think. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, Chris made a good point, though, in chat saying that uh, Drysdale probably couldn't get into Denver. The snow there is insane. They'd be getting feet of snow mm -hmm. a night. And I think the Ducks, their flight got canceled several times and they didn't get in until the same day of the game, right? Did they get mm -hmm. in today? They'll be lucky to get out of there to go to Arizona. Yeah, so see what happens. So it makes sense. Maybe that's why Drysdale didn't get in. But uh, but yeah, I mean, if I was uh, <laughs> if I was Gibby, I'd be like, man, uh, 
Do I want to be in for this one? <laughs> do me, do me a solid. I, I got, yeah, I got a lower body injury. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it a little bit tonight. I, you throw, uh, throw Millsy in there, and we'll call up Stolarz for a backup, and take a little sit this one out. I'll come in against uh, the Coyotes. <laughs> we'll see what happens, right? I mean, shoot. But this, this I defense, they, they really, really, can. really need. Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson back in the lineup, but that's that's a long time away. So does, that does just that means we're going to have change? a lot more fun. Does it do much? Yeah, like I, I get obviously Hampus mm. Lindholm is is a step up over dude. you know Josh Mahurry defensively <laughs> and Hutton and Larson, but how how does that really stop the bleeding at this point? It um it it, it literally makes this team slightly more competitive. Uh, not to get trounced eight to four. I mean, because I mean, realistically, the game should have been twelve to four with how many posts the Avs have hit. Um, I mean, the, the Avs just owned the, the ice tonight, just without without question, on the ice. So it's just very interesting to me that you even say that, considering the amount of ice time these guys have been getting, who aren't good at defense. I like how you say slightly more competitive, <laughs> but we all know you really mean just less bad. <laughs> no, because it's, oh my god, man, the missed assignments, whether it's on the penalty kill, the penalty kill's been horrible, uh, the, missed, the missed assignments five on five, it's just, I wonder, man, I wonder. <laughs> just wonder what's going on in Anaheim right now with this team, because you also, I want to, I want to take a step on the same note. Eddie, for those of you um, don't know, no, you know, he loves to give me a hard time because I hate the New York Islanders. So anytime that he gets the opportunity to see a good stat for the Islanders, he decides to chuck it in my face. And uh, he made mention that they've won how many games in a row, Ed, at the time? They had won nine in a row until tonight. I didn't even know this. I just thought it was amazing that <laughs> they're like one of the only teams that could win nine in a row, and then you surprisingly find out that they won nine in a row. <laughs> and but who did they beat? Oh, it was like I think seven of them were against the Sabres and the and the Devils. <laughs> That's like the abs going on a nine game win streak and they played LA and Anaheim. <laughs> it like... must be fun to be in that division and you've got Buffalo and New Jersey in that division. But what oh, I was, and Detroit. What I was gonna oh, no. say to you about that though is like you know Barry Trotz is he the difference maker? Yeah. 100%. Is he against those teams? Is he? Well, yes, yes and no. Yes and no. Because they're, they still have a good record outside of that nine-game winning streak. Um, and yeah, don't like they have like the second-best points percentage in the league? That that team on paper is... I don't understand how they they play as well as they do. Like, really, they don't have a lot of weapons on that team. I, I think they have some underrated players like Andres Lee and Matt Barzell is... is as we know, probably the best player that they have, but their defense isn't that great. Their goaltending, uh, you know, it's it's okay. Who's their goaltender? Varlamov and <laughs> Sorokin. So they got two Russians back there, and I don't know. It, it, it clearly coaching does does some gives them some benefit there. Um, I think you're, you you need to give a little bit more credit to Barry Trotz for what he's put together. I there. know, but then I have to give credit to to the, you know the, the ass you can give wipes. credit to the team. You can still hate the fans. Uh, no, I still hate the team <laughs> and the fans. Like I I don't know, man. I'll never ever be understanding of anyone how, why they would appreciate the Islanders outside of the nineteen eighties. But uh, you know, that's my bossy baby. <laughs> I can't stand him. But yeah, so this this comes down to another point I want to make about this team. With Anaheim, I know we've touched on it off and on this season, but if we fire Dallas Aikens, who do we bring in? 
who comes in. Everyone wants to say, everybody wants to say the big name. Who's the big name? Gerard Gallant. Is he going to come here? Is he going to sign a deal for this team? I don't see why not. <laughs> Are they going to uh, pay he, him? He's going to want does, max dollars. If he doesn't get the Seattle job, then I, I don't see why he wouldn't come here. Like, the, look at the jobs he's taken before this. He went to, uh, where, where did he start? Carolina was where he started, I think. Or it was, because yeah. he, he went to Carolina, Carolina to Florida, Vegas. Yeah, I think it was Carolina. But yeah, then to Florida and then to Vegas. So he goes. Or they to left young, him for a cab. Yeah, Take a cab. Yeah. A, young, a young Florida team that had Barkov at eighteen, Huberto at twenty or twenty-one, Ekblad at eighteen, uh, and and took him to the playoffs. And they were actually a good team, had a good record, and then kind of got left in, in the dust there because the second season he started like eleven and ten after they made the playoffs, and they just bailed on him, where he was clearly you know, making them a better team that season before, and they just didn't live up to expectations. Same thing kind of happened to him in Vegas, right? Like, he takes them all the way to the Stanley Cup final and does well another season after that and then starts slow in that third season. Oh, he was Columbus, Florida, and then Vegas. Columbus, that's what it was. He had a young team in Columbus, too, when he started there. Like, I don't see why he wouldn't come to Anaheim. He's got a young team, can work with some players like Drysdale and and Zegris and kind of get things going, like, I think he makes this team better. I think he he's you know a better coach to bring in to develop some of the younger players. But at the end of the day, are there, are you know are Samuel is going to pay him to come here because he has a bit more of a track record than Dallas Aikens did, and is going to command a bit more of a salary than Dallas Aikens does. <laughs> he's also been fired in the third year of every team he's coached. <laughs> That's funny. Just a random thing I saw there, but I, I don't know, I, man. I would rather have Claude Julian, honestly. Really. Like, if oh yeah, if you were gonna bring in a uh, an established coach like that, I'd rather bring in Claude Julian. Um, I I think it would just it would be a lot smarter. I think um, you know, I, I, look, the big problem with Gallant is he wants to make a shit ton of money on his next deal, which is fair. He's entitled to it, but he also doesn't want to take orders from the front office, which is why he specifically didn't get the New Jersey job because you. Has a New Jersey has a very prominent analytics department, and they institutionally have say in roster construction, player usage, and things like that. And he didn't want to deal with that. So honestly, is that why he got shit canned in Vegas? Guess what? We don't have that part of Vegas. (laughs) But the thing with Vegas was the biggest issue with Vegas is that Mark Andre Fleury turned into a pumpkin. Like it, it was just it was uh, what do you call it same percentage driven um, mostly, but I think if you bring in Claude Julian, I think he brings a level of respect. I think he brings a little. I, I you know I don't want to get too like intangibly, but I I do think there's a lot of things that he brings as far as a presence. He has some prestige as an individual. You know what I mean? He's successfully coached in two of the biggest markets you know in the league like him coming to anaheim would be he would he would kill it here he seems like a pretty affable guy you know away from hockey um so i think him coming to anaheim would be a huge like decrease in pressure and i i think he's a really really good coach i i would rather have him i think than gerard gallant as much as i do think gerard gallant is uh, a good coach. In in all honesty, I 
think if Dallas Higgins gets fired, it's after we find out what happens at the general manager position, right? Like Bob Murray is done, likely, hopefully. Uh, there's no way they bring him back. I, I really hope not. But he's likely done at the end of this season. New GM comes in, makes a decision there on whether he wants to keep Dallas Aikens around. And I think there's only one of or two ways that it goes here is that new GM comes in and says, okay, I'm going to give you a season in, to Dallas Aikens. Show me what you got, and we'll go from there. Or he's seen enough, and he wants to bring in his own guy, and Dallas Aikens is gone. And then we have to wait. It becomes an interview process. It brings in the guys that he wants. And it might be later in the summer that we find out who the head coach is. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm more interested, honestly, in who becomes the general manager of this team because I think that has more impact on this organization in the long term and even the short term. You know, you, we have a new direction, uh, a new face, uh, you know, a new kind of decision-making process in the front office that we haven't had in, in a very long time. That's the most exciting part of this offseason, not the trades, not the draft and, and who we can bring into this team. It's finally getting a new voice in the front office and a new direction to take this team. I think that's the big thing we're all waiting for. A new head coach could come of that. But ultimately, it's, it's getting that guy, uh, that new face in the general manager spot. Whatever happens with that, they need to do it. Uh, and they won't, but they need to do it before the draft. They need to clean that house out before the draft. 100%. Well, the draft is in July. Both drafts are going to be in July. So we've got a little extra time because it was announced today that I think officially that the draft isn't being pushed and the entry draft will be in July, like middle of July, right, Ed? Yeah, it's not getting pushed back. So it's it's going to be... Uh, <laughs> are they going to do a double draft? God, no. No, they were only going to do that, I think, if it got pushed back. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh but no, I think you guys are absolutely right. Like it's definitely going to be an off-season move if a new coach comes in because I know everybody wants to get them both out of here right now, but like it just doesn't make much of a difference. There's nothing maybe general manager, but you're not going to get any of the candidates that you want in in the building. So you can either wait or you can give it to Madden as like a trial run and give him some authority to actually make moves and allow him not to make moves out of fear that he's going to lose his job. But, you know, I, I do think it's an offseason move. I, I think the interesting question is, is, is if they do go internal and the Samuelis decide Madden is significant, is different enough from, um, Murray, I, I wonder what that says for Dallas Aikens. Does does Madden want to hold on to him just as, you know, that way he still has that first card to play? Or is he like, no, I, I didn't agree with that decision, and so I would like to start over? I think it's a really interesting question. And if they go with a less established uh, or up-and-coming GM, I, again, I think bringing in someone like Claude Julian would be a really good move because he could be a bit of a figurehead. And I think, I think one thing we have to remember, sorry, somebody mentioned this in the chat, is is Bob Murray's not necessarily getting fired at the end of the season. His contract's just up. Like, he's just done in the sense that he's not getting fired. He's just not getting given another contract here. Um, and, and he doesn't the one have, thing I thought he had one more option on it. I thought he had an option for another year. I don't think so i hope to god that's not true <laughs> i let's, really 
I really hope it's not. Let's but, go uh, around around the mics here real quick. I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna ask one question, the same one, but it's I want I'm very curious because you guys are very different how you guys approach hockey. Uh, n- name two things you would do to try to right the ship for next season. This season's lost. Okay, we're cool with that. Get a high draft pick, but what do you do if you can make two changes heading into next season? So. How about it? What are the two things you guys would change, team wise? Yeah, I, I, so not including like front office. No, or anything like the that? whole organization. I should have said organizationally. What would you do, team, organization, if everything? Lower, yeah, for, lower beer prices. <laughs> first thing, uh, there's a new general manager. That's what this organization needs more than anything right now. The draft is going to be the draft. You're gonna, you know, get whatever pick you get. That. That's a change that's mm-hmm. going to come no matter what. I think a new general manager is one thing, and I think to, to kind of lead into that is trading the players you need to trade right now. I think Ricard Raquel is, is among those players in terms of how high their value is going to be. It's not going to get any higher than it is right now. Uh, and, you know, you risk maybe not signing him on that new deal if he doesn't want to come back. I know Stephen and I kind of talked about that a couple shows ago in terms of if Ricard Raquel would resign with this team and if it would be the best bet for him. But I think you have to make that decision now and move on from guys like Ricard Raquel and potentially Josh Manson and other guys that, you know, you need to move now where the value is probably at its highest. And then, yeah, that second one is, is the big one. There is a new general manager. It's what this organization desperately needs is a new voice, a new face, a new direction, because right now, uh, you know, we've got Bob Murray who's been behind the, the helm for the last you know, decade plus And, it's been the same, a lot of the same. And and I don't want to say he's always been bad because I don't think it's fair to say he's always been bad, but it's clear the game has kind of evolved past his philosophy and his way of building a team, and it's just not working. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, um... So I just looked real quick. Uh, it's through the 21-22 season. So he does have one more year left on his contract. The two-year extension came in the middle of the 18-19 season. Um, <laughs> oh, I killed me. I think for me, the first thing that I would do is I would make sure, because I've heard some stuff that like Bob Murray's kind of in charge of everything. My first move would be separating hockey operations and business operations. Um, I I think that's crucial to um, the success of a sports franchise. Um, I I really think you you don't want your your on-the-field product people having to worry about, you know, concession prices and vendors and things like that. Like, it's just not valuable. Uh, and I, I think it puts an unnecessary strain on people who are better served focusing on other things, bringing people for jobs that they're good at. Um, and the the second thing for me, would I I would invest in an analytics department. I you know I think 
I, I completely agree with Eddie that I, I, I think there is an institutional overall that needs to happen. To be completely honest, I would I would be open to firing literally everybody, with the exception maybe being Madden, uh, just because I do think he seems to have a track record of drafting, and so talk to him about that. But other than that, I, I think you know you got to get Nonis out of there. Like, there's no reason for him to be there. Why is Dave Nonis still in this organization? It's just, it's just, <laughs> it's just wild. It's just me. quietly going about his business. It's like you it's know. like that guy you give a job to because you owe him a favor, and yeah. then everyone forgets that he works there, but you're paying him an, an extreme amount of money. Like that's Millionaire Club. That's what they do. Oh, you, I owe you a favor, dude. That's yeah, come work at exactly. my company. It's fine. I don't know how I missed the Bob Murray contract up in 2022 thing, but that has absolutely ruined the rest of the season for me. Was 18-19 not the year that uh, they had that extreme losing streak? That was. 18-19 was the year that Bob Murray got the job behind them. The the 12-game losing streak? Yeah, Yeah. amazing. Funny, it's like that literally comes like a month and a half, two months before he takes over behind the bench. Oh, I have two more years here. Well, I guess I can fire my buddy, and my pal. <laughs> so the the two things Doc, that I uh, that I was going to change NHL team off the bucket list would Sorry. be uh, my my whole thing was is uh, analytics and trade anybody over the age of twenty six years old except for John Gibson and Hampus Lindholm, and I'd even take offers on Lindholm, but I mean really just John Gibson. Trade anybody else, like just yeah. blow the whole thing out. I'm totally cool with that. Uh, a lot. There's a lot of. There's not a lot of bad contracts. There's a few bad contracts on this team that I don't like, um, and they really need an analytics department. No, analytics is not is not the end all be all of everything. But I mean, my God, like, come on, get on board one, a little bit here. One like, analytics person in the organization like, just, right now. Just do something with that, please. Like, just get it up to speed. It's where the league's going. It's it's kind of what the other teams have already been doing for years. I mean, but you can have a bad analytics department. Buffalo has one, <laughs> but then it also kind of gets mixed up with roster construction by people who make decisions. So there, there definitely needs to be an overhaul in the front office for sure. But I think that would come along with it. That's why I would say analytics, because obviously you're taking out the old guard that doesn't like it. And then whoever's typing is typing like a madman into my ear. Um, Steven. <laughs> so I, uh, I definitely would think of the analytics and trade, trade everybody over the age of 27. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. Um, okay, before we move on from the Bob Murray stuff, because now I have a different viewpoint of it with the contract being up a year further than I thought it was. Do you actually realistically see the Samuelis firing Bob Murray at the end of the season with one year left on his contract? Because no. I, I don't see them doing it. I, I haven't been convinced that they are willing to, to pull that move with this guy. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a fire, but I've said this before. I think he's going to get promoted. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really think that that's what they're going to do. Is, the old GM know, to head of hockey ops move? Yeah, and exactly. Somebody Just, else it in. would be like, you know. Uh, but at the end of this year or at the end of 20? At the end of this year, yeah. No, okay. I really do. Because that way you allow him to save face and um, – you're you're not paying for a guy who's not doing anything. I mean, he might not really do much to begin with, but it's a little bit easier, I think, just to be like, look, hell, we'll even give you another contract extension, and we won't even make you do anything for it, but we're going to bring in somebody under you, and they're going to have the authority, and you can either accept that or we can fire you. How and is maybe- somebody in chat saying that the Samuelis don't care? Like, that's that's insane to me. Okay, but, but I... 
can I can kind of see that viewpoint in a sense because why are we sticking with Bob Murray? And 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 to some same extent, there Dallas Aikens at this point, you have full authority in this organization to fire Bob Murray. The Ducks are eight sixteen and what's eight sixteen and six right now, and that's okay. That we're fine with that. We're fine keeping that. We're fine with keeping this guy in charge of this organization for another season. If we already weren't at almost the hour mark tonight. I would love to open the book up on Bob Murray and talk about how he's probably not as bad as everyone thinks he is, that it's more of a it's a recency bias for our our being upset about Bob Murray. He's done a lot for this franchise. And he has. that's definitely a podcast probably in its own. So yeah. I think we all I think that it's gonna that. be one. I think we all understand that what he's done in the past is separate from what he's done now. And there's a lot injuries. of bias. I mean, injuries have just been horrendous on this team with right. large contracts given. That happens in sports, right? He's going to get the benefit of the doubt on those kinds of things. No one's going to hold him up to the to the guillotine and be like, well, Patrick Eves, way to go. Thanks, man. Ryan Kessler, why'd you give him so much money and, and, and screw our, screw our uh, you know, our cap situation up? Corey Perry, what are you doing? Didn't you know he was, he was going to, you know, downtrend like this part of his career? Like, those things happen on, in every sport, and they kind of just happened, <laughs> I mean, all at once yeah. to, to players we counted on night in and night out on this team. And that's really not made Bob Murray look great. But when you're talking about firing somebody, it is it, it is all about the recent, what have you done for me lately, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't, you should not be taking into account what he has done in the past when you're talking about moving on from him as a general manager. It's everything about now. When we're talking about him and his legacy and and anything like that, then you can start focusing on what he's done in the past. And when he moves on and we look back on him and we'll say, you know what, Bob Murray wasn't as bad as we thought, but the end was bad. And that's where we are right now. We're at the end. And it, I think it's it's a very kind of vague and blunt statement to say the Samuelis don't care because I think they do. But at, in the same breath there, allowing this guy to continue when the team is this bad and not doing anything. Like we saw that the Canadians have a positive record. They lost, you know, six out of eight and fired Claude. Okay. But wait, that's a completely different situation though. The Montreal Canadians were still in a playoff race and they had just recently made more than one addition to the roster to improve it in the short term. I understand why the Canadians fired Claude Julian given that they didn't feel that they were performing. I think it's stupid. Um, but I, I understand it. They have a very good chance still to get back into a really good spot going into the playoffs. And I, I don't think that can be discounted. Um, Anaheim, this, this start, the way that we are framing this conversation starts to get into uh, you know, some of the conversations around coaches uh, that and general managers that gets a little iffy for me because I think there is a degree to which there are conversations that are happening that we don't know. Um, I think it is definitely fair to question why the Samuelis have got let it get to this point with Bob Murray when it does feel like there were warning signs the last handful of seasons that he was starting to slip a little in as far as his ability to execute his job. But 
we can't ignore and like I hate doing this because I think it's stupid because they're rich, but whatever. We can't ignore the COVID part of it and the loss of income and stuff like that. I'm not sure it makes sense to fire him only then to just have somebody else come in. Like, you know, and again, like you said, as far as you don't look at his his total history when you're making a, a decision about him being in the off, like him being in charge. But I do think you look at that whole thing and go, look, he gave us probably the best run we've ever seen in Anaheim hockey. He oversaw it. Yeah. He inherited a couple of really great players in uh, Getsy and Perry, but like he did do things to keep this team consistently at the top of the division and in the playoff race for the better part of a decade. And I yeah. don't think that can be ignored. So I do think that's where he doesn't get fired. He gets promoted and they allow him to retain, uh, honestly, just a little bit of his dignity uh, in that role. He's earned it. Yeah. And I get, like I said, I get why there is a degree of being frustrated with ownership insofar as it doesn't seem like we've heard from Mary them ever other than at the end of last season where it was we still trust Bob we think this is going to be fine Bob trusts Deacon we trust Deacon it's going to be great um but that's also one of the things that I think is a is a big strength of them is they're not meddlers you know we don't have a, a GM uh, an ownership group or individuals that you know think they can do GM duties because they played in NHL 21 or they play fantasy. You know, hey, 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 hey. No, we're smart, but other people are stupid. Let's let's roll relax about that real quick. (laughs) You know, but I I do think them being hands off is a huge positive, especially in a small market. Um, And so I, I think to say that they don't care is unfair given how much money that they have invested in the community, uh, in making youth hockey stick. I mean, but look, they still have to find a way to, to bring all the fans back next season who've been paying. If you're a season ticket holder, I believe you haven't gotten a dime back. Correct me if I'm wrong in chat. I know there's several of you in here. No one's gotten any I'm money not... back. Haven't seen a game. Like, like they're never going to not care is what I'm saying. Like, they've got to bring people back in. That's, yeah, no, and that's it. what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not discounting that things need to be done now. Decisions need to be made. But... I do think it's a very particular circumstance and I would give them this summer to see how they handle it because I think this is absolutely like, you know, like both of you said with bringing in new people, this is a very important part or a moment transition moment in the franchise. Um, And so I think how they handle this summer will be crucial because it, you start to wonder what, what happens with Zegris if, you know, it feels like they're like, no, Bob Murray's fine. And then Bob Murray sticks around for 10 years and never gets Zegers any help. You know, I, I, there are things that come the beginning of next season. We may have perfect justification to be frustrated with the degree of their hands-off approach. But I do think it is a positive that they do all the things that they can do and they allow the people that they have hired to do their jobs. One thing I do know is whoever does come in to replace Bob Murray at any point is going to be inheriting a nice group of prospects. When you look at Zegris, Drysdale, Perot right now, and then whoever we get in the first round, and potentially another first round pick based on trades this year, you know, a top five pick uh, in this year's draft. So guys like Luke Hughes and Owen Power 
and then you know moving into next year in the 2022 draft the ducks are likely going to be in the top five and top ten of dra- that draft is one you got guys like shane wright and brad lambert and matthew savoy at the top of that draft too so whoever does come in is going to inherit a pretty nice lineup and i know we're pushing close to an hour here so we do we should probably get on to some of the trade news uh that i know a lot of people are waiting for us to cover here and pretty much all of it stems from Elliot Friedman's 31 thoughts article that he put out today where <laughs> hundred words. Yeah. Where he listed uh, two points on the ducks. Uh, the first one and the longest one regarding Ricard Raquel, just kind of restating that the price is high. Calgary was in and did not want to pay that price. And he's not sure that there's a match with Toronto because of the high price. We still haven't really gotten any leaks in terms of what that price is, whether it's a top prospect and a first-round pick, which I think is what a lot of people expect it to be, but it could even be higher than that, just based on a few teams being out on him. Uh, but apparently the Ducks want young players with a little more of an NHL track record, which kind of goes with the comments we heard from earlier this week that he's looking for a young player between the age of 24 and 27 to bring in Ricard Raquel. I know Stephen and I talked about this heavily, on the last podcast. So Pat, I want to get your thoughts on this. If you're trading Ricard Raquel, do you want a player between the age of 24 and 27 to be the big part of that return? Or would you rather a first round pick and a top end prospect for him? Um, I would rather a player <laughs> in the age range of 21 to 23 to 21 to 24. I don't want anybody that's over 25, honestly, in that return back. It's there's probably already going to be term on that contract. There's probably going to be a lot of money on that contract, especially if he's a good player, because he's already either past his um, what is it? He's he's going to be past his first contract. His ELC is done most likely. I don't want that kind of money coming back on the books right away. So prefer the earlier, the better in the career. I don't know why he's hunting for like you only hunt for 24 to 27 if you're making a run, right? Like if you're going to get a quick young player who can add um, some sort of capabilities of scoring onto your team or on defense. Uh, on a run. It doesn't make any sense. So if I'm pitted between getting that guy or a pick and a prospect, I'd go pick and prospect, honestly. I don't know what the hell Bob would be doing looking at a roster player age 24 to 27. That's just weird to me. We have, it's almost we, like he we, wants to save his ass here. Yeah, but like, like, we know. have a 0% chance of uh, doing anything uh, as far as going to the playoffs. And if we did, I mean, I hope we don't play the Avs. <laughs> like... <laughs> be a fun quick four game <laughs> like, series right? like unbelievable like what's the point um the ducks have like 15 million dollars in forward cap space alone freeing up this summer i know they have rfas to sign but those aren't going to be massive deals uh plenty of cap space to toss around here i don't think there's any reason to to put more money on the books yeah get the pick and prospect um just don't just don't under undervalue raquel i'm like feel like you're pigeonholed in there and you got to take a deal like dude <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen to Bobby. He, I think the the perfect thing from that article, though, that kind of mentions the personality of, of Bob Murray is that there's a lot of times where he said he's not ready to do this, not ready to do this, not ready to do this, and then next day he wakes up in the morning, okay, well, let's get this done. Like, that's what Elliot Friedman kind of mentioned of, of what he's kind of found out about Bob Murray over the years. is, And, and I, you know, we've heard that in, in different kind of – uh, you know, when details of certain deals get released, is that kind of seems to be the trend with Bob Murray? Is What's a comparable player to Ricard Raquel right now? That's been moved of recent time. Tyler Toffoli. Would he fetch LA? a second in a prospect? I think no doubt he would fetch a second in a prospect. I think. Well, I think that's what Toffoli got. Yeah. yeah. 
He got at the uh, low end. He got the best prospect, I th- or one of the best prospects in Vancouver's system. Yep. Yeah, Tyler Madden was was a top three so, prospect in that system. Outside yeah. of like Vasily Podkolz and Tyler Madden was up there. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's where I'd be looking. Uh, I I would put money on Ricard Raquel not being a duck by April second. That's something like I I would too. But then you get reports. Again, it's getting close to trade deadline. The Ducks are, as Greg Wisniewski put it this this morning, are one of the the, the only teams that are really open for business. So we're going to get a lot of conflicting rumors about who they are and who they're not willing to trade. And Ricardo Raquel's name has been on both ends of that spectrum here, where the price is high. The Ducks are willing to trade him, but they're also willing to keep him. You know, they're they're waiting for that specific deal. And I know it's so easy to look from the outside and say, oh, yep. there's such a match here between Anaheim and Toronto because Toronto's looking to move, you know, Dubas came out today. They're looking to move a top prospect to bring in, you know, a rental type player, which for Carter Cal essentially is you get him for a season and a half at a nice reduced cap hit. The fit there just seems so perfect with Toronto against the cap, the Ducks looking for young assets. Toronto would probably be also well, willing the to beauty about Ricard Raquel being traded right now is you trade him for the run. Let's just, you know, throw shit at the wall here. Uh, you trade him to, to Toronto. Toronto wins the cup. Toronto can just fleece him next year to somebody else. Like, just get rid of him next year. You don't have to keep him on the books. You can, you can trade him. You, you have full control of him. You have that. That's maneuverability. That's that's a huge asset for Ricard Raquel uh, to be added to, you know, what he's going to be giving with you skill. That contract is, is, contract is super helpful if you're a GM. And he's yeah, going if to you're, be if you're great dubious, you could flip him, like you said, in a middle right? six so. role. Yeah, you could flip him, flip him somewhere else next season. Play Ricard Raquel with Austin Matthews or John Tavares. That's a win <laughs> for your organization. Blech. Disgusting. That's just disgusting, man. I'd, I would rather watch Toronto hockey if he goes there, honestly. <laughs> just like so I can watch John Tavares win a cup that's and the then shit right on the island. Is it's always these deals that feel like there's such a fit that they never happen. Right, well, because there's always things behind the scenes that that you know we don't know that you know the price could be a lot higher than we thought, or Toronto's not willing to give a pros- high top prospect and a first round pick or whatever it may be. Right, like it's always the deals that seem like they make the most sense and that they should happen that never do. Right? Did, did you guys talk about this in the last show too? Um, yeah, that it's it's purely a loss if Bobby doesn't make these trades. It's what I mean. Next year is just going to be a, a very problematic season. Specifically, Ricard Raquel. Yes, hundred percent. Uh, There's definitely other guys that I'm sure they're willing to move. Uh, I know they want to move Adam Henrique. This seems pretty obvious. That's going to be a tough old thing to move. But Ricard Raquel is, is a he not good. I, I keep being told he's very good. <laughs> hey, if you keep playing like he did tonight. Um, a retained contract on Adam Henrique is getting a lot more enticing than it was when he passed through waivers. <laughs> Except when he, he had a great night against uh, a sub-900 goaltender. What a beautiful night that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Three, three points in the first period against Hunter Miska. So <laughs> it's not, not you can read between the lines on that one. But, uh, okay, the last, last part is about this we have to discuss, too, because it's outside of Ricardo Raquel. It's talking about a lot of the other guys. And a guy that uh, Stephen and I talked about heavily uh, on the last show is Troy Terry because that's when the the rumors kind of came out that the Ducks were and it was really eleven second hit on Sportsnet where <laughs> where Elliot Friedman so basically wrong. came out and said 
didn't even say the Ducks were shopping him, didn't say he was asking for a trade or that he was available. Pretty much just he said that Troy Terry was an interesting player to keep an eye on that could use a change of scenery. And of course, like not not just in Ducks fans, if any, if that was any team, that throws people into a spiral in terms of, you know, okay, Troy Terry's available. Well, why are they why are they shopping him? Whatever. And uh, again, he's very vague in his article saying, we will see where things go with talented Troy Terry. So there's it, it, it just pretty much seems like the Ducks aren't shopping him. He's not available in the in the sense that they're, you know, they're they're putting his name out there. But he's not in the same breath as Max Jones, who they mentioned in this article and say that teams have asked about him and it's a no-go. It's like teams are calling about Troy Terry. He's listening, but he's not willing to trade him. I think that's kind of the distinction we're at at this point is he's not being shopped. He's not openly available, but he's listening at the very least. Chris makes a good point. If a team asks about Terry, it doesn't mean the Ducks are shopping him. So if his name pops up, that doesn't mean anything. Um, Go ahead, Steven. I was going to rant on something there, but you first. No, no, go, go, go. I was, I was just going to say, uh, Bobby, as much as I, we just talked about him for like 15 minutes probably, um, he had his chance to not make the uh, decision to keep Jacob Silverberg, and he kept him. Um, he had the chance to not give Adam, Hen- Adam Henrique a ridiculous contract. He did it anyway. Now he has the chance to trade Ricard Raquel, where he's probably at his near peak uh, being uh, of being valuable, he was probably worth more when he was having a great year two seasons ago, three seasons ago, obviously. But you know, you know those things happen. But right now he's scoring and he looks good, and he's got that little extra year. So if Bob fails on this, <laughs> where do you guys think that kind of takes the Ducks next season? Because not, I don't want to talk about Bob necessarily, but he has to go because. There's just no more room on this team with these prospects coming and needing ice time. That's another problem the Ducks are going to run into, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, quickly before, because I want Stephen to, to, to answer this, but can you also, you know, mentioning the, the contracts and the deals he got wrong, can you not also in the same breath here say that he did, I don't want to say win, but did well in the Andre Kasha and Brandon Montour trades? Because Andre Kasha barely plays a game for Boston right now. He got a first-round pick and a prospect. He's played eight games for Boston. Yeah. And Brandon Montour has regressed since going to Buffalo. And obviously it's Buffalo, <laughs> but still, you got Brandon Gooley, who, yeah, it's Brandon Gooley, but he got a first-round pick. I don't care that that first-round pick has turned to Braden Tracy and he hasn't looked great. You got a first-round pick. Got a first-round pick, exactly. Uh, you, you can't evaluate a first-round pick by who you took. It's the You got a first-round pick. It's a lottery shoot when you go into the draft and you could get, you know, I don't want to talk on Braden Tracy right now, but you could get a guy who never makes NHL. You could get a superstar, but you had that chance. And I, and I think mm-hmm. as much as we can say he didn't do this, didn't do that. If he doesn't trade Ricard Raquel, I do think it's a failure, but he did still do okay with the Andre Cash and Brandon Montour trades. Yeah, no. And I think there is, an interesting thing to point out there is because I, I still think he won the Richie Heinen trade. I think it's just he won it. I don't, you know, whatever. Uh, but but I do think it is notable that the trades that he seems to do the best at are the younger players and the older players. He doesn't trade them and then signs them. And so I I, I think it's a very interesting thing. 
because I think it's as clear a picture as we get of where his head is at outside of what he has said. And those to me moves definitely do back up his belief on some level that this team isn't that far apart uh, or isn't that far away from where they want to be. Disagree, agree, whatever. Uh, But he did make some good trades and he did sign some bad deals. Uh, The thing for me is if he doesn't trade anybody, right? Really anybody of significance by the time the trade deadline passes, there aren't any UFAs this summer that Anaheim is trying to move on from. So they still have the expansion draft, should they desire to bring in somebody before that, and the entry draft, should they decide to bring in somebody before that. So I think while it certainly limits what you can get back because they're not getting that extra playoff run, I do still think there will be value this summer if somebody comes in and and is looking to move those. Now, if Bob Murray doesn't move those, then I think what you need to do is take a long, hard look at moving him out, is getting rid of them. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But I don't think not trading them is fatal simply because the want the people you're looking to trade, with the exception of Getzloff, have at least one more year on any of the contracts we're talking about. So, so I, I think it could hurt, but I don't think it's fatal. So, yeah, if... And I guess in, in kind of summary, then, if if we don't move or if he doesn't move Ricard Raquel, do you guys think it's a failure? I think, Pat, you were saying, yes, oh, it yeah, is. Oh, yeah, it's 100% a failure. Um, and if you move if you move Raquel, I mean, just, just go get Patrick Laine in the deal and then sign him. Do that. Seems easy. There's an RFA, yeah. It seems easy, yeah. Well, I'm sure just, they'll be open just, to it. Just sort of him loves steal. Him. Screw it. Him and Steele together. I, I think I think right now, like what what do you do if you're Bodmer and you don't get the high price you're asking for Ricard Raquel? Because I think then you have to take into account what you could get for him as a rental next year. If you think the price you're getting for him this year is what you'll get for him as a rental next year, that's the only situation I could argue and maybe not trading him. And even then, I would still say you should probably move him. Um, but I like if you're getting a first round pick and a B level prospect, which is what they got for Andre Kasha, I don't feel comfortable with that return, right? Because I think Ricard Raquel is more valuable in terms of just being a, a more productive player further along in his career with a better track record and, and a ridiculously good contract for teams that are pressed against the cap. I think you have to get more than you got for Andre Kasha in return for Ricard Raquel for it to be a success. And I don't think, you know, clearly he's not willing to get pigeonholed into making a deal. I don't think you get forced to make a deal you're not comfortable with just to, to move him. And I know I'm going against what I, what I said here, but, you know, next year, even as a rental, at that contract, I think you can still get a first-round pick and a B-level prospect. And if that's what you're being offered this year, then maybe you pass. Maybe you, you don't go for it and, and unless you can get kind of higher than, than what you might get for him next year. Bobby's going to trade it to Buffalo for Sam Reinhardt. Come on. He fits in that 24 to 27 range. He's an RFA. Sam Reinhardt, what, 25? I think so. I think so. 
Yeah, but he's, I think he's making like over five seven. mil. Yeah, he's making <laughs> yeah. like five two five. I was just looking at him. So Bobby wants a twenty four to twenty seven. He'll get twenty. He'll get a twenty five year old kid. Sam Reinhardt, Sam Reinhardt's a good player. He's in a really bad situation in Buffalo. So yeah, that's what Bobby's going to do. Either yeah, way, I, Raquel's gone before before April. Would you Would you like that stuff. trade if it was for Sam Reinhardt? Because I know you're you're kind of um, joking around there. But would you actually like bringing in Sam Reinhardt for Ricardo Raquel? I wouldn't hate it honestly. I wouldn't be something that I'd hate. Uh, I don't see the reason for it necessarily. You're just gaining two years of age, and this team's not going to be good in two years. So I think it's better to go for a pick and a prospect than it would be to take Sam Reinhardt and spend $7 million. Yeah, I think he's a better player than Ricardo Raquel. Oh, he is for um, sure. You know, doesn't have the 30-goal the seasons, but 50, 65, and 50 points in 69 last year, 19 and 25 this year. Uh, right at kind of on par with what Raquel's producing this year, at least. He's got 19 uh, points this season, 11 goals. Yeah, he's, he's 25. But but he doesn't make – he doesn't – do anything for this team now right like yeah yeah he basically replaces ricard raquel's production this year and comes in and maybe is a little bit better of a player right now than ricard raquel is but the time the ducks really need him he's going to be 27 28 and you know i i, I think the only argument you can make there is you know if you get rodian amirov in a first round pick let's say from toronto or you could get sam reinhardt from buffalo the only way you would take Sam Reinhardt from Buffalo is to get more of a sure thing because you don't know what that first-round pick is going to be and you really don't know what Rodion Mirov's going to be or Nick Robinson's going to be until they make it to the NHL on a consistent basis. I think that's the only argument you can make for going out and getting a roster player like a Sam Reinhardt uh, is that you want to avoid that you know, the, the risk there and getting a draft pick and a prospect, which I think is the bad the wrong decision to make right now if you're you're an organization like the Ducks. You gotta be getting draft picks, you gotta be getting prospects and building for, you know, a, a longer term future rather than trying to be competitive in two years, because I don't think the Ducks have the pieces to be competitive in two years from now. No. This is a five year build. <laughs> well here's here's the other part of this. And I don't necessarily disagree with anything you just said, Ed, but I do think there is a hard part of it that is the holistic or, or, or the total view of it, right? Because the problem is, is if you're able to move out Adam Henrique for, for like not retain any salary, let's just say you pull it off. Okay, that's a step in the right direction. Now let's say you send Raquel out and you get Reinhardt and a third round pick. All right, maybe not the best, but we have a decent player now, blah, 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 blah. The, the problem of trading for, you know, Raquel for Reinhardt is it doesn't fit with the roster as it is. But the roster could change and needs to change. So trying to evaluate some of these trades, like I don't think Sam Reinhardt would be a terrible deal if they moved out a couple of older guys, right? If you yeah. move... Cam Fowler or Cam Fowler or Josh Manson or both. You move Henrique. You move uh, Raquel. You know, maybe you keep Silverberg. He's a little bit cheaper. He's a winger. We've seen what he can do. Um, you know, I, I think that maybe makes a lot of sense. Well, there's a lot of pieces to move to get to Reinhardt, but I see what you're saying. If you're gonna you if you're I gonna mean? start the roster over and blow it up, but, then right. blow it up and, and give the give the the you know, the one or two C to Reinhardt, right? Like, yeah, exactly. You know, at that point, what you're doing is you're probably looking at bringing back Getzy, moving him into an official third role, and kind of having a 
a Reinhardt as a nominal first line center, depending on what Zegras is and depending on what Lundstrom is. Um, so I, I'm not saying any of that to disagree with you. I, I, but I just think there is a degree to which some of these trades when analyzing them in a vacuum may go one way or the other, but the total approach is difficult. And that's why I think it's very telling that all of us said, change the front office. We didn't say, I mean, you did, but that's because you were hinting at the front office change, the regime change, stuff like that. About We're not just saying just get rid of all the bad contracts. It's get all, rid of all the guys who are older than X who aren't going to be part of this team by the next time we're competing. Yeah, pretty much. And, and I think that is very telling the degree to which between that and get a new front office where we feel the team is at and whether or not we feel – uh, confident that the people in charge now are the ones who can do it. And I so, love and hate trade speculation at the same time. Because we could talk a whole in. hour on it. Yeah, but I also can't wait until we have an actual deal to talk about and analyze and break down because then it means the Ducks actually did something and made a move. And and honestly, like I know it's been back-to-back years where we've had one major move. I, I think this needs to be the year where it's a couple. And it feels like it's shaping up to to be like that but then you remember last year where a lot of tweets came out that the ducks were very active at the deadline and it was kind of like that the year before so we're getting that same sense this year where the ducks are one of the most active teams at the deadline but then they make only one deal and you know if i had well, to make three three guys for them to move it's probably raquel henry and manson by the by the deadline this year or at least by the draft yeah, but the other thing is is one major move, right? Because they made the most trades out of any team last year on the deadline right. because they did the, the Milano trade and all these other little pieces. But, yes, they really do seem to only have a tolerance for one s- significant trade a season. Um, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting. You know, I think the expansion draft – is a gift and a curse at this point because I think if there's no expansion draft, it's a little bit easier to justify keeping Raquel right after the deadline because you know going into the draft, the entry draft, there's going to be teams who maybe they lost a little bit of lottery luck or they didn't get as high, you know what I mean? Or you always have the one team that makes the surprise run and now you call that guy like, you know, this guy's got another deal, blah, 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 give me a pick, you know? And I, I think that that ability to be a little bit more specific with what you target at an entry draft is vital because you have the draft order set. The problem with that is between those two things or between the trade deadline and the entry draft is the expansion draft. And if you keep Raquel to trade him later, you need to protect him. And if you protect him, what is that costing you? Yeah, it so doesn't make any sense. To do get, that. This is the part where you get into that stupid phrase, yeah. asset management and things like that. But I, I do think that as much as I think there is going to be a little extra potential to be interesting or frisky because of all of those things, I do think there is also a, a greater risk in the back-to-back-to-back impact heading into next season. I think people forget how hard it is to also trade in a year with a looming expansion draft because teams are also worrying about who they're going to protect and who they're going to bring in. And any team that trades for Ricard Raquel is going to need to protect him. So that essentially does shrink your market a bit. 
if that team already has a set protection list and then they have to worry about Ricard Raquel because he's got that extra year uh, on his deal. This is, this is the type of year where rentals become more valuable because you don't have to worry about protecting them wherever Ricard Raquel goes or, you know, Josh Manson goes, a team has to worry about protecting them. And, and on that sense with defensemen, it's even harder to move defensemen this year because yeah. you have that, you know, eight skater or three defensemen rule. And if you, you know, Josh Manson's not getting traded to a team with three defensemen that they want to protect already, because then they Ooh. also have to protect him or they will likely, or they will lose him to, to Seattle. But that's the other thing I was going to say, which for it, the team on the other end is interesting, right? Because how many teams do you think Raquel walks into the room and is it in the top seven value forwards, right? Because the young guys are going to be exempt and, you know, maybe some of the other guys are on contracts that a team with as heavy an analytics presence uh, and a fresh sheet like Seattle, maybe they're not going to take those kind of guys. Um you know, so maybe it be, does become a little bit easier to bring a Raquel in and slot him into one of those seven spots. But I definitely do think the defenseman thing is hard because it's not necessary. I don't think it's a given that Manson walks in as one of the three best defensemen on any team that he is, he goes to. I think based on the way that like need and trades tend to happen, I think it's more likely uh, that if he gets traded, it'll be to someone that has intents of keeping him around because they're firmly in their window and they like what he brings. But, um, I, yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting thing as far as how all of this kind of shapes out and what it, what it does to the conversation. I have to mention something in the chat here because it was cracking me up a bit. Somebody said, uh, I think Trump said in the chat, uh, that he'd rather have Hackenpo over Shattenkirk. Somebody asked why, and he just put old fat sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, just, just harsh. Uh, but yeah, I think I think you know I agree with kind of all those points, and it'll be nice, like I said, to kind of actually break down a, a trade whenever we get to it, and hopefully we get to it at some point here. Like you know, we are about a month away from the April twelfth deadline, and with that fourteen week quarantine period for for a lot of teams here that that becomes you know a two week out from a kind of makeshift deadline of being able to get the most out of that player if you're looking to bring them into your organization especially for the north division if you're looking at a team uh those teams looking to bring players in i think those are going to be the most active teams over the next couple of weeks here especially the toronto maple leafs and looking to kind of make those trades to make their team better so they can get these guys through that two-week quarantine period and get them in so we'll have to wait and see say that every year but we've got uh you know a, at least enough exciting news come out which is nice for us especially to have a lot of stuff to talk about but it also creates a lot of drama and and uh you know speculation on twitter between you know the fan base and what the ducks are going to do We'll just have to see what happens with that. But like I said, I think most of this stuff's going to happen in the next two weeks. I really do. Ticky tack moves on deadline day. The big stuff's sure. going to happen between now and April first. Yeah, I think that's probably likely for sure. That'll be fun then. Uh, well, I think that'll be it for us tonight, guys. Uh, are you guys back on the show on Thursday? Yes, You're I believe so. Thursday. So Eddie and Pete Davidson, or someone called him Sniffles in the chat. I saw that. Um, back on the mics <laughs> on Thursday. No one ever gives Stephen a break. 
But uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll talk to you guys coming up here on Thursday night after the game against the Coyotes. Thanks, everybody. Bye.